Good morning. Well, I think this is the day that a lot of our young people look forward to with great anticipation. Some may have already gone down. This is the beginning of our week at camp. Uh, this is Kathy's and my first week uh, participating. Uh, I guess it's our last year of eligibility as campers, but they have allowed us to go anyway. Um, but it's something that we're looking forward to. A lot of folks are going to be uh, out uh, throughout this week, starting this afternoon, those who haven't already gone down. Uh, the question and answer sermons that I have told you I'm going to be doing on the second Sunday night of the month, where I'm asking you to tell me what questions do you have from the Bible, and we'll try our best to answer those. Uh, because uh, of the fact that I'm going to be at camp tonight, uh, we'll do that next Sunday night. I've got several questions, uh, so it uh, shouldn't only be but about two or three hours to the sermon next Sunday night, but... Uh, go ahead and give me a whole lot more so I can do that again in July. At the end of this sermon, we are going to afford an opportunity to one who, or more who may be thinking very seriously about the most important decision that there is in all time and eternity. And that is, what will I do with Jesus? That is a question that is important because of what Jesus did for us. Jesus created all things. Without him was not anything made that was made. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. He's before all things. And by him all things consist or hold together. He left that position, Philippians chapter 2 says, and came to this earth and he emptied himself on our behalf because God in creating us created us with the freedom to choose. And he knew that we would exercise that choice in uh, failing to do what was right or doing what was Wrong as Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. And therefore we would need a Savior. But God, with His perfect foreknowledge, had an eternal plan. And at the heart of that plan was the giving of Himself, His Son, for our sins. Jesus took on the form of flesh, 100% human, 100% divine. Went through everything we go through, Hebrews 4 and verse 15. Did so perfectly, unlike us. And as a result of that, he could be the substitute sacrifice in our place. God demonstrated his love through this, Romans 5 and verse 8. And because of that, if you in hearing and understanding that message, Romans 10 and verse 17, will have faith in your heart that Jesus is who he says that he is, the Son of God, he wants you to act on that faith and have a change of mind, faith in the heart, creates a response in the mind that desires to change what should not be and instead submit to Jesus as Lord that leads to a change of actions, understanding God's will, turning away from sin and turning toward Him and what the Bible calls repentance. Be willing to say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God as the eunuch did on that road in Acts chapter 8. And then allow yourself to be lowered in water To imitate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Romans 6 and verse 4. To rise to walk in newness of life. You may have come in the door with a multitude of problems. And all those problems won't be solved, but the biggest one can be. If you're willing and you're ready, at the end of this lesson, we're going to invite you to do so publicly. We're going to invite you, if you don't choose to do so publicly, to take the opportunity to let us know and let us help you to make that decision and to have your sins forgiven, and to be added to the family of God. You may be a child of God who's struggling, struggling with some of the things we're going to be talking about this morning, or struggling in another way with sin in your life, and you need to get that resolved, and you know that. Maybe you're afraid. 
Let me tell you, this is a loving family who waits with open arms to encourage you and to help you. We all have the same goal, I believe. You wouldn't be here this morning if you did not share that goal. That after the troubles of this life, you want to spend your eternity in the presence of God in the place that is being prepared that's more wonderful than this life could be at its best. If that's your need as a child of God, as Jared sings this song to encourage us, let me encourage you to have that courage to step out in the aisle and know that you're not alone, that we want to help you through whatever it is that you're struggling with. Maybe it's a sin problem and you need to repent. God is faithful and just to forgive us when we confess those things. 1 John 1 and verse 9. We'd love to pray with you this morning. Researchers in Australia were looking into some kind of connection with regard to the stresses that people feel in physical illness. And so as they went through that particular uh, study in science, they were able to isolate this connection between emotional stress and physical illness. They determined that there is a hormone, and that hormone is neuropeptide Y, NPY. And this hormone is uh, stimulated when one feels emotional stress, and it can actually lead to physical illness. You ever felt sick? with stress and worry. And maybe it's not necessarily a physical response, but you're sick at heart, sick in your soul. As the things of this life have you tied up in knots, and you're so concerned and you're so obsessed with that, that it becomes a struggle in your life. One of the things about our Lord is that He knows us, and He anticipates the things that we go through, and so He addresses that very concern that we have, that the stress of this life can so overwhelm us and cause us to worry. Now, it could be as you look at your life and you think about the things that have you stressed out and the things that have you worried, that you may not think that it's just one single thing, that you may think it's more complicated than that. You may say it's my health, or it's some relationship issue that I have, or maybe it's something that happens as I look to the future, or maybe as I look at my relationships, or maybe it's some stress and worry that's related to work and to school. But I want you to notice that as Jesus walks us through this common stress, this struggle that we have with stress and worry, that he deals with one category of things. As you walk through the text that was read by Roger to us so well a moment ago in Matthew 6, verse 24 through 34, You will find him as he is talking, using words like clothes and food and body and physical life and drink. You know, with all the things that we worry and stress about, there seems to be a common denominator. There seems to be a large area that is the source of our struggles and our worries with stress. And Jesus pinpoints that. A lot of the things that we struggle with by way of stress and worry or have a financial source. And Jesus says that the things that we so often worry about are things. And our Savior understands that this is something that we're going to deal with. It may be, in fact, it's almost inevitable that you have come into this building today with some stress. Don't you have stress? Maybe it is that you're concerned. We like to use that word, anxious, concern, and a lot of times what it is, it's, it's worry. And it's so easy for us to point out the problems. 
But what I'm thankful about and what Jesus does in Matthew chapter 6 is He doesn't just point out the problem, He gives us some solutions. As we walk through Matthew chapter 6 this morning, I want you to keep that in mind. You ever see those commercials that come on that are advertising some new prescription drug the FDA has approved? And, you know, it could really be uh, any of those. The one that comes to my mind is something that maybe some of you use, Lunesta. You ever heard of Lunesta? Lunesta is a prescription hypnotic or sedative. And I remember when it first came out and the, and the commercial was running and the narrator begins to talk about this wonderful product. And as he did, he, he says, do you have trouble falling asleep at night? And once you're asleep, do you wake up during the night? Rest is available on the wings of Lunesta. Doesn't that sound very soothing and comforting? He says some drugs are approved to help get you to sleep. And there are other drugs that are approved to help to keep you asleep. But only Lunesta is FDA approved to do both. Sounds good if you're struggling with that. But then the narrator does what the narrator always does. He says possible side effects include aggression, amnesia, hallucinations, irrational fear, suicidal thoughts, and potentially fatal allergic reactions to the throat and mouth. Do you need rest? Lanesta. You know, sometimes doesn't it seem like that the cure is worse than the illness? The illness seems to be that the daily pressures of this life, this stress that comes into our life, sits so heavily upon us. And it has a multitude of effects. And one of the effects that it has is worry. And worry itself has some effects that come out of its side effects. Where we get fearful and we begin to even have panic attacks. Now some of that's physiological. I can't address that. I'm not qualified to. But there's a lot of the stress that we feel that leads to worry that Jesus says is common to all of us. And He gives us some help. He doesn't just point out the problem that we're all too aware that we have, but He gives us some solutions. I want us to notice just three things in the lesson today, and this lesson will be yours. The first thing I want you to notice is the source of stress. Again, we can approach this by saying, you know, it seems to me that it's much more complex than that. It's not just one thing. You know, all those things you mentioned a moment ago, those are the variety of things that come together and just kind of sit on me like a heavy cloud. But Jesus says that when you look at much of what it is that we fret over and that we're so concerned over, it's things Do you notice in verse 32 and 33 that three times in those two verses he says all these things. What we stress over so often the source of our anxiousness are these things, the things of this life. I want you to notice that Jesus encourages us to consider something about these things. He says that worry over things in the first place is futile. You'll notice, and it depends sometimes on on the version that you have in verse 27, he says, who of you by worrying can add a single cubit to your stature? Or it'll say, who of you by being worried can add a single hour to your life? And you look at Luke's parallel there, and this is the, the point. You think about the things that you worry about, and you spend yourself consuming yourself. It doesn't do any good. For all the time that you expend on this, you're not changing a thing. Worrying about things does not do a positive thing at all. In fact, it leads to a lot of adverse impacts on the quality and the quantity of your life. 
And so Jesus says, as you obsess over the things that you're worried about either having, keeping, or seeing it go, he says it's futile. Because all the time that you think on it, you can't change a thing. But he also would indicate to us that it's faithless. Down in verse 30, you notice what he says, O you of little faith. I want you to think about why he is telling us it's faithless. When we stress and worry over the things of this life, we are saying, God, I don't believe in your character. Even though God has promised to take care of all these things, we know he has that kind of power, at least we say that we do, but what does it say about our faith when we say, I know you said it, but I just don't believe that you're going to do it. But then also it is a lack of faith in his ability. God says, you want to see how well I take care of things on this earth? I want you to look at the flowers and I want you to look at the birds. And you can see that I take care of them, though they can't take care of themselves. Isn't it even more for you? The worry over things that we so often find ourselves struggling with is faithless, but it's also useless. We'll notice that down in verse 34. 34, Because the, the, the problem is... We worry about the things of tomorrow, and the things of today have enough worries of their own. Don't compound that. Don't make it worse by adding to the things that you've got to face today by looking at the things you don't even know about when it comes to tomorrow. Do we ever find ourselves so wound up in concern about what might be down the road? I read a true story about a $20 bill that was found on the floor of a Massachusetts department store. It was, there was a note folded neatly inside of that $20 bill on that floor. And inside of that crisp $20 bill, there was a note that said, Help, kidnapped, call state police. And on the other side, it says, My Ford van is cream and blue okra. Floyd owned a chiropractic business in Sand Springs, Oklahoma, And he called in to brag to his secretary because he was up on the northern east coast and he was talking about the beautiful view of the ocean that he had. And his secretary says, you have no idea what's going on, do you? And what was going on is that woman, her name was Rita, she had decided that Because she had to drive back alone. They had driven from Oklahoma to Massachusetts together. But he had to stay for business and fly back home. And so she had to drive all the way back to Oklahoma by herself. And so she was worried that she might get kidnapped on the road. And so her solution was that she was going to write out a note pleading for somebody to help and get the police involved were she to be kidnapped. And it's brilliant because... She put that note inside of a $20 bill because you might not take notice of a note, but you'll take notice of a $20 note, won't you? But she didn't realize that it was going to fall out of her purse when she was trying on an outfit in a Massachusetts department store. You know, you think how much energy that was wasted on this, that she would concoct such a plan, but how much time and energy and effort do we expend on worrying about the things that just might happen out in the future? Jesus is saying then that as much as things, that we are the source of our own worry. Will you walk through the text again? And I want you to notice how often Jesus says you. He says, who of you, verse 27? Why are you, verse 28? I say to you, verse 29, uh, and oh, you of little faith, verse 30. What's the source of so much of our stress and worry? You, me, us. And so Jesus, as he's trying to help us with this struggle, is he goes to the source 
so that He can help us to root it out where it lives so often that we ourselves worry about the things of this life. But then Jesus goes on in in this lesson, and not only does He give us the source, He gives us the areas that are affected by our stress. You know, if you think about it, it's a very multifaceted thing. Think about how widespread worry can get in your life. In the first place, when you think about the things that you, uh, the way that stress affects you, it, it affects your life. In verse 25, Jesus says, For this reason, do not worry about your life, what you shall eat, or your body, what you shall put on. When you stress about things, when you're worried about the material, the physical things of this life, it affects your view of life. Because what it does is it reduces your life in your mind to the material and the physical thing. It helps you or it causes you, it hurts you really, but it causes you to think only of your physical life. And when you're so obsessed about your physical life, you know what part of your life that you're not focusing on? It's your spiritual life. This physical life, inevitably, is going to come to an end. We can try to prolong it. We can do all that we can to have as good a quality of life as we can. But ultimately, this physical life is coming to an end. But spiritual life is endless. Wherever we spend it, we're going to spend our eternity somewhere. And when we focus on and stress about and worry about the things of this life, we lose sight of that life which never ends. And so one of the areas affected by stress and worry is your life. But another area that is affected in that is your sense of your self-worth. In verse 26, it affects how highly or how little I think of me. You know, when you begin to examine the birds, and Jesus pulls out a creation, a couple of examples, and one that he gives is the birds. Jesus wants us to focus on who we are. And to do that, he shows us ourselves in contrast to the other animals in creation. Ornithologists tell us that there are about a hundred billion birds on this earth. They tell us there are 8,600 varieties of birds. You probably do what we do. We put out bird seed all the time out in front so we can watch all the different kinds of birds that come and eat, especially in the morning time. 8,600 species all around the, the world. And birds, because of their high metabolism, are eating constantly. They say that songbirds can eat more than their own weight in food and do each and every day. And so these birds have this constant need. Birds don't have a job. Birds don't have social security. Birds don't have uh, long-term provisions. Birds don't have pay raises. Birds don't have multiple streams of income. And yet what happens? God provides for them. You see, when I begin to worry about things, I find myself looking at myself as less in God's eyes. You think about all of creation. 
There is only one creature who is made in the image of God, and that's you and me as human beings. Genesis 1 and verse 27. Of all of mankind, there's only one creature that God sent His Son to pay for our sins. John 3 and verse 16. We are at the top of the food chain. We are at the top of the priority chain. Genesis 1 and verse 28 and Genesis 9 and verse 3. But when I stress, one of the areas that are affected by my stress is my sense of my self-worth. I begin to see myself this way when God has such a higher view of me. But then it affects your faith. In verse 30, O you of little faith. When I think about this struggle, I realize that I find myself not believing in God's ability to take care of me. And He wants me to see who I am. It also affects my relationship with God. In verse 32, you'll notice He says, Don't be like the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? The Gentiles are those who at one time were without God and without hope in this world. And yet, when God contrasts us with those things, those people outside of a relationship with Him... He indicates to us that they are those who don't know God. They don't trust in God. If you are an unbeliever, you're trying to take care of yourself. And you've got to provide for yourself without relying on God. And when we begin to worry, what we're saying is, God, I've got this without you, or I think that I've got to do it without you. And it impacts the relationship you have with God. Another area that's affected by stress is your priorities. Now, how does this relate? You know, we, we often quote Matthew 6, verse 33. We even sing it in a song. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. But when we begin to wrestle and struggle with stress and worry, it can impact putting Jesus in His kingdom first. We begin to have this little conversation that goes on in our head. And it goes a little different for everybody. But when we begin to struggle with stress and worry over things, here's what we begin to say. Well, maybe I need to pull a few extra shifts on Sunday to be able to pay for everything. Maybe I just need to cut my contribution so that I can take care of things financially. Or maybe I need to make some faith compromises on the job with my boss and co-workers in order to take care of things financially. Then truth and right begin to suffer because we begin to obsess about things above our relationship with God and our priorities get inverted. Jesus recognizes that tendency in our lives. And so what He wants us to do is He wants us to see how all of our life is affected by this. And He encourages us in that to see this affects all of you. But you know, it's easy for us to think, but you might say, Neil, I came in here this morning knowing that I had to struggle with this, and I know that it affects every part of my life. I live with it. It feels like I'm carrying it around all the time. Can you help me with some solutions? Well, Jesus can. I want you to notice that Jesus gives us at least three solutions to help us when we struggle with stress and worry. The first solution that he gives us in this struggle is he wants us to make observation. Observe. Now, he also tells us to observe the flowers and the grass. As you make observation, if you'll look at the created world, will you notice God, how he keeps things going, how he sustains things in this world? Psalm 19 and verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. God is saying to us, Will you please look at everything that I've created? Can you see how I've got it all under control and observe 
that I've got things under control. But then he encourages us to make identification. He wants us to identify who he is. And he wants us to see who we are. It's incredible that in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus mentions God's name 17 times in the Sermon on the Mount. He tells us that God is perfect, that God sees. God knows what you need before you even ask. He keeps driving us to see God does what is good. He knows what is best. He rewards. And when you see yourself as you are and you see God as He is, you you understand that you're not a stranger to Him. You're a son. You're not a heathen to Him like the Gentiles. You're an heir. He wants us to identify that and not to to miss it. Jonathan Overfeld was sitting on a park bench in Hamburg, Germany. And it dawned on him as he sat there that he did not know who he was, how he got there, or why this was happening. The police came along and examined him. They ruled out drugs and alcohol. They found out that he had retrograde amnesia. And uh, that's uh, amnesia that is caused literally by physical trauma or traumatic events. I wonder sometimes, I feel like I struggle with that. I I struggle with this amnesia. I forget who I am and who I belong to and what God has promised me. And what God is telling us, God the Son, in this part of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6, 25-34, is you need to see who I am. I'm your heavenly Father. I'm a father to you. You're my child. I care about you. I'll take care of you. Then we also see that he mentions prioritization here. You know, we're to keep the kingdom first. We're not to worry about tomorrow. In Luke's parallel, over in Luke 21, you have a, the, a reminder that instead of being caught up by the worries of this life and all the things that can take us off track, we need to realize that there's a day to come that's out there waiting for us. We don't just look at the material things of this life. We're looking at life that's endless, that's out beyond this life. In Hebrews 11, you have those folks who are struggling to have a stronger faith, and, and it's guys like Abel and Abraham and Noah and others. And in Hebrews 11, 13 through 16, they desire a better country, a heavenly country. And so they set their focus on getting there. Paul writes to Timothy, who's preaching at Ephesus, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, and he says, Instruct those who are rich. Now, I pause right there because here's what my tendency is to do. You know who the rich are? The rich are the people who have more money than me. And there are quite a few of those. And it's so easy for me to step back from that and say, okay, rich people in the church, you need to listen to that because this is directed at you. We've talked about this in lessons before, haven't we? When you look at the globe and you look at the world stage and you look at folks in America, even with inflation and even with all the things that are happening during the pandemic to prices and goods, with all of that... Compare yourself with the rest of the world. You know, I believe that there have been a lot of third world countries where Christians are struggling, and I think that they would laugh at a lot of the things that we worry about, or they'd be amazed that we are worried about things that they can't even imagine ever having. Instruct those who are rich in this world's good not to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who is able to richly give to all. Be rich in good works. You know, whenever we find ourselves in any situation, we can focus on the best or the worst. Why wouldn't we choose the best? 
Jesus gives us the example of the physical because it's what's most pressing. It's what's out before us. But you do realize that these principles are just as applicable to every other facet of life. It may be that you long ago conquered the worry over things. You may look at your situation and say, I really don't have any big reason to worry about things. But I imagine if you're human, you struggle with worrying about something. And that worry can do the same thing that these other things, the things of this life, can do to you. The late Hugo McCord said that worry is an adult sin. That a lot of younger people may be pulled by some of the sins of the flesh that older people aren't struggling with, but older Christians, so often this is our struggle. It was Reinhold Neubar that is credited with originally saying that God give me the uh, wisdom to have the serenity to accept the things that cannot be changed, to have the courage to change the things that can and should be changed, and to have the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. Isn't that what Jesus is saying? He's not saying that be lazy, unproductive, and expect others to do for you. He's not saying be a poor steward. He's not saying any of that. He's saying you do what you can, but leave the rest to God. There's an uncomfortable truth with this. And I'm not going to tell you, it's it's not one of my favorite truths of Scripture. I'm just going to be honest with you. 1 Timothy 6, 7 and 8. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we will carry nothing out. But having food and covering, with these let us be content. I think that's where it starts. And all of us are well beyond just those things. I understand that there is a place, all over, well, actually on the, on the rural roads of India, that there are certain posts that are set on various points in the road. It's a pole or post that has a sturdy shelf attached to it. And the locals call it Somatonga. And if somebody is carrying a heavy burden down that road and they come to one of those posts and they're tired, they can take it off and they can put it on that shelf and they can rest. They leave it there until they're strong enough to continue their journey and they put it on and carry it. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going to be looking at that at camp this week. And by the way, I wanted to preach this for those who are going to camp because it's a part of our our theme this week and not worrying. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7, the Bible says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. I understand that many of the Christians in India call Jesus their Somatonga, the one that we can lay our burdens on. Didn't Jesus say that we could do that? Matthew 11 and verse 28, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy... And my burden is light. We all struggle. We all struggle with worry. But Jesus says, lay it on me. The burden that we do not want to leave today with, certainly not this life with, is the burden of our sins. We can't carry that. We can't carry it to the judgment and then have him in his home as our heavenly home. But we can respond to His grace and give our sins to Him. We've told you how that can be done. 
It may be that this is your invitation and you need to respond. If so, come right now as together we stand and sing.